Hi, I'm Winston, and I'll be bringing you the second Bible reading. So please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, and we'll be reading right till the end of the book, which is chapter 13, verse 14. Please read with me. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you were demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh in the use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be of one mind, live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, we are finally at the end of our journey through 2 Corinthians. And what a journey it has been from being confronted by the God of all comforts who comforts us in all our afflictions, the same God who entrusts us as clay jars with the treasure of the gospel, the one who reminds us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. The one who allows us to experience even godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Then to being generous, teaching us to remember Jesus who was rich but became poor and that through his poverty we might become rich so we learn generosity from him. And then to learning that in our weakness God's grace is always sufficient and that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And now we come to our final passage. And Paul pushes us forward in our walk with Jesus. But as we look at this, let's join our hearts once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that these words will not remain only words on a page, but words that your Spirit applies to our hearts, so that our lives might be lived out to the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those of you who have been a part of our church family for a while, you should hopefully by now know what our mission statement is. And those of you who are new to our church family, it is good for you to know what it is and what it means to be part of our church community. And so what is it? It is making and maturing disciples of Jesus together. Now, I'm not sure if you've picked up on this before, but did you notice the verbs of our mission statement? They are what you call present participles. Now some of you might be wondering, what's that? Well, that's perhaps because they've stopped teaching English grammar in school. I only learnt English grammar not at school, but when I learnt Greek at Bible college. But present participles are the ing words, the running, racing, eating, drinking, ing words, and so making and maturing, which means it is progressive. It is still meant to presently happen, and it goes on happening, as opposed to something that is in the past tense, made and matured disciples of Jesus, which means it is already completed, and there's nothing left to be done. But that's not our mission statement. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, where is this all going, this grammar lesson? Does this guy know what he's talking about? Well, I do. You see, what our mission statement should remind us of, and what this passage will go on reminding us of, is that the work of being a Christian, the work of being a church, is an ongoing work. It is an unfinished work until the day we die or until Christ returns again. And so from the smallest of us in Christ, an unfinished work. To the oldest of us, an unfinished work. We never stop making and maturing as disciples of Jesus. And in this passage, Paul places his focus on the need for all Christians. Not just some Christians, but all Christians to be maturing. That is, we don't stop growing. We don't stop fighting sin. We don't stop repenting. We don't stop pursuing godliness and holiness and unity and the things of God. Now, what do you think that's important to reflect upon now? 
And I certainly do think this is what God wants us to hear now as a church. Well, given the year that we've had, where so much of our lives have been conducted in private, where we've missed out on gathering together as the people of God for about eight to nine months already, where it has become easier and easier to be backsliding and not maturing. It was Spurgeon who gave a wonderful illustration of what the Christian life is meant to look like. He said this, The Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up, nay, you have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labour in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. And so my question for all of us today is, my question for our church is, have we been maturing or backsliding? at least over the last few months. Well, Paul begins here with a warning, a warning of discipline and judgment. Remember again, the church was a troublesome church, a church that has caused Paul so much heartache, not only in how some have accused Paul and slandered about him and undermined his apostleship, but it was also a church that was lenient towards impurity and sexual immorality and promiscuity not unlike the culture today which I'm afraid will continue to have a bigger and bigger influence even on the church and so Paul here he issues this warning so that they won't be backsliding but maturing and he will visit them again he tells them on a third visit now we know the first visit was when he planted the church the second visit was what he described as the painful visit something he'd rather not experience again. And this third visit, he hopes they will have changed by the time he comes to them. And if they have not changed, they cannot expect Paul to not exercise his authority and to discipline them. And that's what we see in verse 2. Have a look. I have already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier, or any of the others. Now that should, at the very least, remind us how seriously we should take sin and how seriously the church should be taking sin because God takes sin seriously. And by sin we mean anything that does not align with God's way for us and God's way for life. You see, at the heart of sin is a rebellion against God's way and not trusting that God's way is best, thinking that we know better than God. And so it's not okay for our private lives to be so different to our public lives that when we see each other, it's only a facade of what you're really like and you're a totally different person at home. It's also not okay to be dishonest or jealous, or envious, or divisive, and sexually immoral. Now I know for many, a struggle over the last few months, being locked up at home in front of the screen for hours and hours, is the great temptation of pornography. And I don't know how to say it, but it is not on. 
Of course, we are here to help and to hold you accountable and to help you live rightly with God and to repent. But God takes sin seriously. You have to hear that. And it makes me wonder whether some of the things we suffer is because of besetting sins. We, we, we did not deal with it when it was small and it grew and it took root in our hearts. And sin always has consequences. A lie will perhaps just lead to bigger lies unless we confess it. A lustful heart will lead to whether you view people as objects or persons to know and love. And so Paul, he warns, there will be discipline and also the judgment of God. However, some in the church thought, well, Paul, he's a weakling. He's just all talk. These are just empty threats. You see, they confused Paul's meekness and gentleness with being weak. But Paul will come down hard on them with the authority of Christ himself. And that's what we see in verse 3. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he's not weak in dealing with you, but he's powerful among you. And there are examples of judgment for sin in the early church. In the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, they were struck down for lying about their giving. In 1 Corinthians 11, some of the Corinthians, they were weak and sick, and a number had fallen asleep because of how they approached the Lord's Supper. And now, of course, this does not mean that Every instance of getting sick is the judgment of God for some particular sin we can never know. But it should at least remind us that maturing Christians cannot be satisfied with living a life that is contrary to God's way. And so perhaps even for us now as a church, with so many months apart, we need to heed the same warning. Are we maturing or are we backsliding? Just like in the Spurgeon illustration, have we allowed ourselves over the last few months to be sliding backwards on that hill of ice? Well, once you've heard the warning, that's not enough. And that's why Paul goes on to say you need to examine yourself, to test yourself. Now, we have examinations all the time. It's exam time for VCE students and for the uni students. Never fun but important to be examined to see how well you know the subject or perhaps how much you crammed in over the last few nights. And for the very first time in my life, I had my eyes examined the other week. And do you know what the optometrist discovered? I have the onset of presbyopia, which just means I've got old people's eyes. It's a shock to the system. I am getting old and I now have reading glasses. Here we go. Actually, it's hard to see. Perhaps just for dramatic effect, I might bring out for a sermon once in a while. But we are called here to examine not our brains, not our eyes, but our heart. And the word Paul uses here is to make a critical examination, to test it thoroughly, to see if you're genuine, if you are for real. And Paul is here talking about whether you are genuinely a Christian at all. And so that's what we see, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That is the Christian faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, throughout the whole letter, 
they've done a fair bit of assessing of the Apostle Paul already. They've been critiquing him. Is he an apostle at all? Is he for real? Does he intend well? Now Paul turns it back on them. You've examined me already. Now it's your turn to examine yourself. Are you for real? The last few months of lockdown and not being able to meet together as a church has been difficult in all sorts of ways, and that's perhaps an understatement. But if there was one thing that was good about it, was that it allowed us all to see for ourselves whether we genuinely believe in Jesus Christ, whether our faith is genuine and sincere, not having the routine of coming together each Sunday or for youth group and Yoshi to be on each Friday night. Do I really believe? Do I really believe that I am a sinner saved by grace? Do I really believe that I'm unworthy of God, but God thinks me worthy enough to give his son for me? Do I really believe that there has been a change in my heart because of what God has done? Or have I just been going to church all that time to socialize? And so why is that a good thing? To examine ourselves, as Paul calls us to here. Well, if we find that our faith is not for real, then you need to hear once again, hear the gospel call. There is no hope for you unless Jesus Christ is your savior. And if Jesus is your savior, you've got hope forgiveness of sins eternal life and the spirit of god dwells in you but if you find that over the last few months and you're honest with yourself and you admit that you've been backsliding then your faith and your life has over the last few months not been very consistent there was no connection at all you believe one thing but your life was a different story well perhaps it's time for you to examine yourself once again. You see, what we want for our church and for each of you is not a shallow commitment to Jesus Christ, but a deep, genuine, sincere one, one where our faith and life is consistent, one where we are walking up the hill of ice, taking careful steps not to fall backwards. And that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 7, now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not that people will see that we have stood the test, that is poised for real, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. Now Paul wasn't interested in how people saw him, call him a loser, call him a failure, he didn't care. But what was important to Paul was that they lived their lives consistent with their faith, doing what is right, so that when Paul came to them on this third visit, he would not need to discipline them, so that they would show by their lives that they were indeed maturing as disciples. And so he caused them to examine themselves. And finally, Paul exhorts them to pursue maturity and unity. Where you are now in life is not where God wants you to be in the future. Instead, God wants you to slowly but surely your character to be maturing and conforming into the likeness of Christ. Just like that Spurgeon illustration once again. Slowly chipping away at the ice and making progress and making progress and making progress. Not allowing yourself to slide backwards. It's one of the things Paul prayed for them as he ends this letter. 
the work in you, remembering that this is not your strength or your willpower, but God's Spirit in you, changing your heart and molding you. That work is not yet complete. And so Paul prays in verse 9, And our prayer is for your perfection. Now the word there is maturity, or the process of perfecting your character. And that is why in our mission statement it is a present participle. It is an ongoing work. And that was the nature of Paul's work amongst them. Paul did not rebuke them just for the sake of it. Paul did not want to discipline them just because he had the power to, and he did. But it was for building them up. It was the whole point of the whole letter. And we see in verse 10. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. And in his final greetings, he appeals to them to be united, not bickering, not fighting, not divided, but of one mind, with peace and harmony. That's the church he hopes to find when he visits them, hoping that it will be far different from his second visit. And so we see verse 11. Finally, brothers, goodbye, or the word is rejoice. Aim for perfection. There is that maturity word again. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. I think this feels very fitting for our situation as a church now that we as a church as we prepare to meet together in person after so many months away that that same appeal that Paul gave that church is that same appeal to us that when we get back together what we'll find is that we are a church that is united with one mind, seeking the good of each other, living at peace with one another, and to see that perhaps we've all changed for the better. Not just physically. I suspect some of us have packed on some COVID kilos over the last few months. But to see all the kids having grown up over the last few months, I mean, just watching some of the kids' church lessons, so many of our kids are a lot taller. And I know some of the boys in youth group, their, their voices have started to crack over the last few months. But to see many exciting changes, not just physically, but spiritually, in our maturity as disciples of Jesus. And then we read verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, fortunately, when we do get back together, we won't be allowed to do that, so you can save it. But isn't that what you also want to find when you return to church? Wouldn't it be so sad and disappointing to find a church like that hill of ice, only a few people with their ice picks chipping away and a whole pile at the bottom of that hill of ice who've n never grown over the last few months, in fact, have given up because they've given into their sins and they remain unrepentant of their sins. Wouldn't that be so sad and disappointing to find amongst anyone? But wouldn't it be such a joy to find a church that 
knows the love and peace of God. A church that is maturing. Though we've been apart, when we come back, we can see we have all matured, not because of our own willpower again, but because of the work of the Spirit of God who convicts and changes our hearts. A church where our faith and life is so consistent. You look at your faith and you look at your life and it all makes sense. And so my question I began today with, have we been maturing or backsliding over the last few months? Is our mission still making and maturing disciples of Jesus together where we fix our eyes on Jesus but we need to do it together? And so perhaps... A slight change to that Spurgeon illustration. Not an ice hill where we're all individuals chipping away at a different part of the hill with an ice pick trying to make progress by ourselves. But on the ice hill where we are all connected by carabiners and ropes where we're trying to make progress together. And if one slides, we are there to help pull up and to help to help together, to mature together as disciples of Jesus. Well, that's what we hope to find and continue to be so for the glory of God, by the will of God and with the power of God, of course, for the glory of God, by maturing as disciples of Jesus together. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to be true disciples of Jesus, who are making and maturing disciples of Jesus together, who ourselves are maturing by the work of your grace in our hearts. And so help us to examine ourselves so that those of us who need to get our lives in order will do so by your grace. And we pray that your spirit will work in us so we will be slowly but surely making progress and maturing as your disciples. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen.